0: Your voice be heard right here on WHCR ninety point three FM, the
1: voice of Harlem. We are back on. Let your voice be heard on ninety point three FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Or if you are tuning in from Facebook Live, what's poppin'? And I am here, Stanley Fritz, as usual, looking moderately good-looking, but not really because I haven't been to the gym since early August when that thing happened. And I'm also and in you're, the studio. You're in jeggings. I'm not wearing jeggings. Oh, are sorry. these jeggings? We, are yes, tonight? we
2: already made fun of him. Okay. Thank you. Please.
1: Put, so, put it away. <laughs> stop sexualizing me jackie okay so anyways guys that's all I was saying Stanley, I'm in the studio your butt
2: looks really good in those pants thank
1: you I did 10 Can squats you before hello? you guys got Can here Can you
2: smile at me why are you not talking into me when I walk by you and, oh I am all about I that,
1: that oh, oh, oh. <laughs> too much I gotta
2: go guys
1: I so, can't guys um, I'm in the studio with Alyssa Fuchs Jackie Cohen I think I just became Selena a lesbian Hill, oh wait <laughs> I lesbianized you and of course the cat daddy queen, she dabs it up in the streets, works at chocolate, and makes sure I get my chorus light for four dollars, not five dollars. No, I'm kidding. She made me pay extra. We got Ashnet, the poppin' intern who tweets in the streets and also wears hot pink. That rhyme, didn't it? So, guys, we are not here to big up Ashnet, even though she is also cool as well. And your bun is really fleeky with the baby hair on the sides. I've noticed these things. We are here to talk <laughs> about the. Are
2: you commenting on her appearance? Yes,
1: I am objectifying her. Duh. Stanley what's
2: wrong with you? Well, what's
1: wrong with her for wearing clothing?
2: You know, I want to objectify Donald. <laughs> Trump. What was going on the other night? So
1: yeah, thank you, Elizabeth, for jumping me in the right direction. So we are here to talk about the 2016 presidential debate between Cheetos Ultra Mix and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and in case you guys don't know what Cheetos Ultra Mix is, it is actually Donald Trump. And it was pretty much peak whiteness. But besides it being peak whiteness, it was the first debate between these two people. Donald Trump was coherent for about three and a half minutes, and then things went completely downhill. But since that has happened, we've had a lot of people coming up with different opinions of what actually happened. We've had Trump go into all kinds of petty arguments with people. We've had Hillary Clinton using pretty much 89 of the 90 minutes of that debate for clips to get people to vote for her and we have people who are listening on the air right now through the fm frequency and people who are listening right now through UStream on the stream team and people who are hopefully listening right now on facebook live who had lots of opinions and who had lots of thoughts on this recent debate so we are here to break it down tell you what we think hopefully get to hear what you think and then try to wrap it up in one nice sweet button that hopefully does not end with donald trump as president now Instead of just recapping everything that's been talked about on CNN or on MSNBC or on um what's the Fox News, sorry. Fox News or even on the, the young, news
2: part in quotations Yes,
1: deep heavy quotes What I want to do from you guys is hear what you thought just straight up from the debate Not who won Not who lost because it wasn't a rap battle It wasn't one of those things where you can pick the winner by screaming the loudest I want to know what you guys thought from watching the debate And because Selena is looking at me with really wide eyes and I think she sniffed the same coke that Donald Trump did before the debate <laughs> I'm going to start with Jackie uh,
3: um, Well, I got to watch the debate at the Apollo Theater right here in Harlem with Selena I mean, which- well can we just Give details. Jackie and
0: I were VIP yes, at the Apollo. We were VIP I wasn't invited to this
3: backstage. No, well, yes, Special you were. Light. Selena emailed all of us I to did. invite us. No, I RSVP'd.
2: Selena took me backstage at the Apollo to VIP seating. Well, you
1: got to meet the guy who sweeps the stage.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. you mean the janitor who it, pays more in taxes than Donald Trump does? Probably.
3: Yeah. Mm. No, it was it was great. Um, and we saw a panel discussion before the debate started with people who. Like ran the gamut of political preferences um, from the far left to the far right. And then we got into the debate and it was absolutely an incredible experience sitting in the Apollo theater, watching Donald Trump run his mouth and people were not having it at all. And, you know, for me, I find I have stopped watching Trump in um, speeches, like on, you know, when whenever there's like a video that comes out about him on tour or at a... Um, at a Trump rally, I really can't stomach it. I just can't listen to him. It makes me so angry. I have to turn it off, which maybe isn't a good thing. Maybe I need to be taking him more seriously and listening to him. um But I could not think of a better place to have to listen to his BS than at the Apollo Theater, where a room full the- of petty
1: black people. No,
3: I mean it was a <laughs> room full of people who were. Some there were some Trump supporters there. there really? Was, yeah, there was. I think there was one. I think there it was, was two. I asked <laughs> if there was any Trump support. There were some people sitting right behind me who were supporting Trump. Crazy. Um,
1: they better have been white.
3: They, obviously. <laughs> okay, they,
1: they, White people don't make no sense. Black people, you they, need to.
3: They asked the audience, Kelly Goff, who's the NY, uh, WNYC, um correspondent. Is that in her? Yeah, yeah. she's who, a host. A uh, host who moderated the debate asked if, if there were any Trump supporters in the audience. And one person went like, <laughs> What? <laughs> And like got scared, and every and she was like, "You are so brave," and everybody applauded. That the one, it was really weird. Yeah, she really got me Um, but it was it was really wild, and I mean, I think that maybe my perception of how well Donald Trump did or did not do was a little bit skewed because right off the bat, nobody was having it. So when I heard that pe- that people thought that he did really well at the beginning, I was like, I did not have that perception of the debate at all.
2: Well, you know, actually, that's a good place for me to jump in because I actually thought in the first ten minutes, like. Wow, Donald Trump's doing a pretty decent job of making himself (laughs) appear presidential, and that's going to be bad for Hillary because my thought going into the debate, which was that, you know, unfortunately, the bar is set so low for him, and it shouldn't be. It should be set much higher because, of course, the bar for Hillary is, like, 300 feet in the air. And she has to
1: jump in heels. Right,
2: exactly. Um, But— you know, so considering this low bar that was already set for him, I was like, if he's able to come up to this low bar and make himself look somewhat presidential, then that may be really bad for Hillary. So during the first 10 minutes, I started to get a little concerned. I was like, wow, he's actually doing it, and he's making himself appear like somebody who actually could potentially be a president versus somebody who's completely unhinged. Of course, after 10 minutes, <laughs> that completely uh, went out the window, yeah. and he became the un- his, his unhinged self. So- that he is and then I was like oh it's a wrap um, I mean and then there was just my, my favorite thing was when he really confirmed it was the part where he, where he like started to blame Hillary for something and she goes by the end of this debate Donald's gonna just find a way to blame me for everything and when he why, his, not? He said, why when not he said why not he confirmed that it do- didn't matter whether she said something good whether she said something bad whether she had a positive policy proposal or whether something wasn't her fault because you know it happened when George W. Bush or Ronald Reagan was president, he was going to find a way to blame her for it. And that was going to just make him look even more unhinged than he already was. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, it's a wrap. Um, and then after the shimmy, it was over. Uh-
1: Yes, that was also my favorite thing. Selena?
0: Yeah, no, Hillary Clinton pretty much slayed um, Donald Trump. I mean, I feel like he almost got in formation. Like, I feel like she was also trying to provoke him so that the true him could come out in the first 10 minutes. He was very, you know, reserved, and then he just let loose. And it's so funny, um, the SNL... Fourteenth season, I think premiered. No, yeah, no, 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 no. Forty second. 40 I'm sorry. Second. The forty second season premiered last night, and Alex Bowen did a great job he was impersonating great. Trump at the debate. So funny. And um, one of the parts he said, like when he, what that Alex Bowen said was Alex. Alec, get he, the
1: white man's name right. My you know. fault. I,
0: I tweeted it wrong too <laughs> last night by accident. But um, he, one one thing he said, he was like, oh um, and the blacks, and then you see <laughs> Hillary Clinton's face like, and then he right. just goes on talking. It was.
1: It was hilarious. Well, so Donald Trump, first of all, let's not give Donald Trump for the first 10 minutes. What Donald Trump succeeded in doing in the first 10 minutes of the debate was this, not sounding like he was drunk. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Unless well,
2: that's, that's very on cocaine.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's easy for anybody to do if you're not drunk or on cocaine. That's not an accomplishment. Second, Donald Trump has the IQ level of a beanbag chair that's been ripped <laughs> in half. So let's not give him any kind of credit for being an intelligent person. Third, Hillary Clinton was doing things like speaking at a regular level and stating facts and following a consistent stream of consciousness. Donald Trump was not. So... I, at no point, thought Donald Trump was doing well. I thought, oh, he hasn't passed out yet. That was about it. Now, I was in shock a lot with Ashnette, the popping intern, who made sure I got my course light after I waited 15 minutes, so she went and got it for me, pulled the executive move. Thank you, Ashnette. But while I was there, the crowd was full of, like, the New York Urban League was there. We had It was, like, a really nice crowd. We had the folks like me. We had a couple of bougie folk in there, too. But it was like being in a rap battle. The first 10 minutes was like, oh! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he got you son damn hillary and then when hillary started coming back with the haymakers you could tell when the crowd finally felt like hillary was coming back because everything she said it was like damn when she mentioned that his dad gave him 14 million dollars i couldn't even hear his and then reaction he called
2: it a small loan
1: yeah oh <laughs> but
2: you know, she a should have work. i think she could have done a better job of then nailing him again and turning around a little sarcastic and being like a small loan, Donald? $174 million is a small loan? Yeah. I mean, maybe she just wants to stay above it, and I get that. I mean, like, a big thing right now is this whole thing, and this is, like, obviously outside of the debate, because after the debate ended, Donald Trump was like, well, I was going to bring up the infidelities, but I decided not to. Okay, Donald, you know, don't throw stones when you live in a huge glass house, yeah. because <laughs> the last time I checked, you cheated on your first wife, Ivana, with your second wife, Marla Maples. You cheated on her with the chick you're with now, Melania. So if anybody wants to talk about infidelity, Donald Trump should know the best about infidelity because Donald Trump has been... You know, committing adultery so much that he's had to plead the fifth 57 times during depositions right. about his adultery. 97
1: times actually. 97, and guys, Donald Trump has a temperament of a Queen's credit card scammer, which means he doesn't <laughs> understand accountability. All he does is live but a swipe life, which is what he has <laughs> what? always what? been doing. So, if you ever wonder why all of a sudden you only had $10 left in your account, he probably scammed you. And guys, if you do want to call in, the phones are working now. The number is 212 650-6903. Again, that is 212 650-6903. we do have to go on a break in a couple of minutes but before we do i actually want to get into some kind of contextualized or meat meaty like points of the debate so one of the first things i want to talk about so we talked about how we think donald trump may have done well the first 10 minutes we talked about where we were and how we reacted what i want to know from you guys now is with donald trump why is it that he why is it with? why is it that the bar was so low for trump And so high for Hillary. So, obviously, we know all the regular things that people hate about Hillary and the things that people love about Trump. But why is the bar so low when he has done such an amazing job of bigging up how intellectually superior he is to everyone? I'm going to start with Jackie because Selena looks like wants to talk.
3: (laughs) That's so rude. Um, Because... Hillary, where, you know, Donald Trump says that he is so smart, and, you know, he said it in the debate, I'm smart, like not paying taxes makes me smart, blah, blah, blah. But Hillary's whole career has been based on the fact that she's super qualified, she's the most knowledgeable. So she really has set the bar super high for herself, which is fine, right? Like that's good. And I think we should hold her accountable to that. But Donald Trump certainly hasn't set that expectation with people that, you know, and he's not, he's never held elected office where, as Hillary has, and so she has really set this bar super high for herself. That being said, I do think that there is an inherent bias where, you know, any woman or person of color or um, disenfranchised group Can probably agree that when you're put in a space compared to a white man, you have to outperform that white man no matter what, right? You have to do that much better to prove that you're worthy of this position. So I think that there, I don't think that was completely the reason why Hillary, why the bar was set so much higher for Hillary than for Trump, but I do think that's a part of it. No, yeah, I would agree.
2: No, I mean, I, I, I would agree with that as well. That would be my thinking. But also, it's just like, why do we hold him to such a low standard? I think that's a better way to ask the question, which is, it's not just about, we know why we hold her to a high standard. Right. We hold her to a high standard, one, because she holds herself to a high standard, as Jackie mentioned, and because she's been in a, a pu- in public service for 30 years. So we've gotten to see her throughout her entire career. I mean, Trump's been in business, failing at business for 30 years and, you know, accruing thousands and Millions and millions of dollars of debt while not paying any taxes on it. Um, and yet, because he acts like a 13 year old child, we hold him to the bar of a 13 year old child. I mean, we need to set the bar higher. We need to raise our bar. I mean, this is, and not, it's not just we here in the studio. I'm talking about like the media in general. Like, if Donald Trump stays on message for 10 minutes, the media is all like, oh my God, it's a giant accomplishment. Donald Trump, great, wonderful, huge accomplishment. But like, if Hillary stays on 10 minutes, on message for 10 minutes they're just like oh yeah you know nothing out of the ordinary i mean so like that's where the bar needs to be set higher for him for him um that's what we we need to stop looking at like why is the bar so high we know why the bar is so high for her why don't we raise the bar for him i mean he can't even have a uh, like an intelligent conversation for more than 10 minutes everything (coughs) is like wrong stupid wrong horrible wrong stupid wrong horrible the blacks (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, Alyssa. So, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask the million-dollar question: Why didn't we have Joe Stein and Gary Johnson on the debate panel? And what would the debate have looked like if we did have those candidates on there? I know you, Joe Stein, Bernie, or bus, hippie losers, are probably listening and you're salivating. Get ready. We'll be right back. <laughs>
4: We know the IRS has made clear there is no prohibition on releasing it when you're under audit. So you've got to ask yourself, why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, maybe he's not as charitable as he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that He owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes. Because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license. And they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that if he's smart. paid zero, that means zero for troops,
1: Zero for vets. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie Cohen. Our intern astronaut is on the Twitter, ones and twos, as usual, making sure your tweets get responded to. And we are talking about the 2016 presidential debate, the one that just happened on Monday, the first one between Hillary, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And the clip you just heard was a very long clip, actually. It was about a minute and a half long of Hillary Clinton sending for Donald Trump and using receipts to do it about his taxes or lack thereof. And what she did was accuse him of not paying his taxes, in which he responded to that he was smart. So now, I say all of that to ask the question of, if a Jill Stein and a Gary Johnson were there, does she have enough time to get that question off? Does it even happen? But before we get to that, I know Selena has a comment, so Selena, please read the comment.
0: Yeah, so uh, Mike has commented via Facebook live stream, and I think he was referring to the question that we asked before we went on break about why do we hold the bar so low when it comes to Donald Trump. But he says, I think Trump is smarter than we think, because he literally said in the 90s that if if you were ever to run for president, he'd go with the Republicans because they're easier to track into thinking he's a good candidate. That makes him <laughs> and a not the same you even and, and not the same you even said that all Republican voters are stupid. That
2: doesn't necessarily make him smart. It just makes him a manipulative sociopath. I mean, most of us here know that that Repu- I mean, not I don't want to say all Republican voters, but, like, so many Republican voters are so gullible, that's why you have this, where you see all the time, like, for example, in Kansas, where literally the entire state is failing and they're giving tax cuts to rich people and poor people are really suffering, including middle class or what used to be middle class white people, and yet they still vote for Republicans, right? And so, like... I, I, even I know that. So like I could say I'll run as a Republican because they're easily duped. So I don't necessarily think that makes him smart. I just think it makes him right, manipulative. Uh, you uh, know, I'm getting a, a different comment on Facebook and this is from a veteran from the Iraq War. named. Her name is Adriana Torres and she says, as a vet that was in Iraq I'm going to say that having those vests and plates and ammo were really important to us out there. Thanks to all of our citizens that did provide to our military she means by paying taxes. She then writes, Donald Trump says paying Zero taxes makes him smart because if he had paid them it would have been squandered and then she writes squandered on stuff like body armor for our troops so you know think about that like yeah. Donald Trump says like oh I'm patriotic it's smart to not pay taxes I mean listen everybody's trying to figure out a little bit way of a way to get out of paying all the taxes that's why you sit down with an accountant and you try and take your deductions but at the same time what's going on with Donald is a little different because we're not talking about individual taxes we're talking about the corporate tax code and about how his him as a wealthy person was able to take advantage of deductions and loopholes that people like you and me aren't. And I think that's part of what Hillary was trying to get at when she was talking about tax policy at the debate and, and why it's so important that we don't go back to trumped up trickle down That's on that note I know you really wanted to get to the third party candidates so I'm going to throw back to Stanley so
1: yeah I wanted to talk about third party candidates but we have a lot of energy around this tax conversation yeah. so we're going to hang out on this for a little bit we have Miss Deborah on the line because the phones are working if you want to call in the number is 212-650-6903 again that is 212-650-6903 if you're on Facebook live on from my page you can leave a comment or read it or on Twitter be heard underscore radio or unpolitically preposterous. You can comment on there. We have a million ways to let your voice be heard. I don't want to hear you, you did not know what to say, Miss Deborah. I missed you. School us.
5: Hi, I did too. I really did, guys. How are you? Good. Good. So um, I was just wondering, um, uh, what is the woman's name, Helmsley? When she said that paying taxes are for the little people, she went to jail. So why didn't he go to jail?
1: Wesley Snipes went to jail, too. I know when he said he was smart for not paying taxes, Wesley Snipes was somewhere eating Raymond noodles, trying to pay his light bill, saying, well, damn. Because he couldn't do that. Raise your hand in this room if you cannot pay your taxes and the government would just be cool with it.
0: Well, what he did was completely legal from my understanding. He did not do—he used the the loopholes in our current tax policy.
2: Right, which speaks exactly to what Hillary was talking about, which goes back to the comment that I made before we came back from break about, like, the tax code. I mean— there are—I'm going to work in the third-party candidates now because the, the reason why they're not on that debate stage is because neither one of them are actually going to be president. So we—in reality, I mean, that, that's the truth. Um, I mean, Gary Johnson's polling at 10 percent and Jill Stein's polling at 2 percent. They're not going to be president. As President Obama said, you know— you This this year, we have a choice, and it's between steak and fish. You can order the chicken, but they're not bringing you the chicken, okay? The chicken is not coming out. We are going back to the to that metaphor. Well,
1: one uh, time, they told me I can only have vodka, and I said, that's for college girls. Give but, me some Hennessy.
2: On that note, so you have two different visions. Do you want to go back to the George Bush tax policies of the early 2000s that led to the Great Recession and crashed our economy, which is what Donald Trump is proposing, massive tax cuts for people at the top? and loopholes that let him pay no taxes for possibly 18 years, like is being reported by the New York Times, or do you want to continue with the same tax policies or similar tax policies to the ones that we have now? And, and you're going with Hillary Clinton. I mean, this is why I'm so sick of hearing people say the lesser of two evils. You know what? Yes, there are things I don't like about Clinton, but it's not the lesser of two evils. There's only one evil here, and that's Donald Trump. Yeah,
3: I want to push back on what you said, though, a little bit, Alyssa, because I do think that when when President Obama made that analogy um, between, you know, choosing between chicken or fish. He was talking about the Republican primary. I know he was. And he was referring to Paul Ryan, who was not even in the running for the race, and how people were were writing him in on the ballot. And he was like, no, that's not an option, right? You got to vote for who's on the ballot. Um, And I think some people would... And I'll preface with, I agree with you. I do not think Gary Johnson or... I don't think... any third party running right now has a chance of winning the election, right? I think that it's only going to be between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, but I but they are on the ballot in most states, right? So people do have a choice. They can, and that's, you know, I think that's the issue that you're raising is that people can vote. It is an option. They have this third option, not just chicken or fish, but it's, I mean, it's a controversial Point, right? Is this what you should be spending your vote on? I mean, it's a it's sort of a philosophical debate, if anything else. Like what should you who should you be voting for? And if this is a democracy and you have a candidate that most represents your ideals, and that might be Jill Stein or Gary Johnson, should you vote for them or should you play a political maneuver and vote for the candidate that you think is is more likely to keep Trump or Hillary out of office?
0: Listen well, closely,
1: Bernie Hippies.
3: Well, the reason why
0: Jill Stein or Gary Johnson is not gonna win is because they don't have the opportunities that uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump has. Like, in the beginning of Donald Trump's campaign, because he said absurd things, he's gotten, like, unprecedented media coverage compared to the other Republicans who are running in the primary. So, put it like this. If Jill Stein or Gary Johnson were as crazy and ludicrous and offensive, then they probably would get more media coverage, which means they'd probably be polling higher, which probably means they would have been on that debate stage. So, it's almost like a catch-22. Yes, Alyssa's right. They're not going to win. The reason why... Wise because they won not on the stage, and I think that if more people were voting and and like let's and like advocating on their behalf, then we would have a chance for a third-party candidate to win. Well, no,
1: you're not gonna have a chance for a third-party candidate to win, and it's not because that they're, they're fighting so hard to not give them that stage. They're not fundraising enough. That's one. Two, these third parties don't have a real infrastructure. The Libertarian Party, you can make an argument for because they have some offices, some legitimate offices, not like crappy townships across connecticut they actually have some spaces but these third in order to run for national office you have to have one fundraising infrastructure two like thought leader infrastructure and three viable candidates who have a body of work they do not have that and of course if you want to get on a presidential debate you have to be polling at at least 15 percent harambe is polling higher than jill stein (laughs) harambe (laughs) black lives matter So, so like no, so so don't 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 tell me it's because like we're not giving them that space. It's because the Green Party has not done a good enough job to build that infrastructure. Do I want them to? Absolutely. But you know who is building that infrastructure right now? Shameless plug: the Working Families Party. And maybe ten years from now we might have a candidate running for president under the Working Families Party. If you want a legitimate third party to be there, you have to vote not just in presidential elections, but in senate, city council, alderman, judge, all those things, and put in real people. Because if you don't, you're You'll get these third-party candidates who pop up every four years, know they're not going to win, raise $20 million, do some commercials, say Wi-Fi makes your kids gay, and that'll be the end of it. Jackie?
3: Yeah, so over on our Facebook live stream, Jason points out both parties worked hard to bar them from the debates because they didn't want to get more specific this early in the debate schedule. So basically saying that, you know, the first debate is pretty general, it's pretty broad, right, and that has been um, a lot of the criticism that I've heard this past week that they didn't get into – finer policy points because it is that first debate. They want to be super open-ended and broad and if they had had Jill Stein and Gary Johnson there, they would have had to really fine-tune their debate points and get into the nitty gritty. Let me
1: push back on that. One, I am not like the I'm with her Hillary street team person. But what you guys need to understand is Hillary is a beast on policy. Mm-hmm. Read one of her editorial board interviews, read the daily news editorial board interview. She knows her stuff. The reason they're not going to get into specifics is probably because the Republican party was like, hell no. <laughs> if there's one thing that Hillary Clinton can do is getting specifics for her policies. And if you don't believe me, read the Daily News um, editorial board meeting with Hillary Clinton, where she goes down to the nitty gritty. And I'll have Ashnet tweet that, or I'll tweet it at some point, because Ashnet looked at me crazy just now.
2: <laughs> you know, and I just wanted to add something about about Gary Johnson, which is that- um, I'm just trying to find it right now. And I, of course, it's, oh, here. So, like, here's the thing. A lot of millennials are saying, like, they, they want to vote for Gary Johnson because they like what he has to say yeah. about marijuana, for example. But there are also people who claim they voted for Bernie. So I just want to clear something up about about Gary Johnson. Aside from not knowing where anything about foreign policy, because I, my friend's six-year-old knows what Aleppo is, um, Gary Johnson's platform and the libertarian platform in general calls for zero. Zero. assistance on college loans or fixing political debt. It calls for doing away with Social Security and privatizing it. It calls for, although Gary Johnson said he's in favor of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the Libertarian Party platform calls for overturning the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So we can go back to the quote-unquote good old days, um, which we all know what that means. It's the same thing that Donald Trump means when he talks about law and order and stop and frisk everybody. mm mm-hmm. um, it, in, in addition, the libertarian platform uh, calls for doing away with all environmental regulations and controls, freeing corporations and banks from all regulation, eliminating public education, even grades one through twelve, and doing away with the IRS so that the government cannot take in any money. How so, would the government run? So I what really, are, here's another thing I really don't understand, which is how are there Bernie supporters that are backing Gary Johnson? Or because they're uh,
1: stupid, or they didn't really support Bernie? Are
2: you not paying attention? And you know what? And and, and I wanted to also push back on something said earlier about. Like because they're not on the third parties aren't on the stage that's why they don't get seen that's not like that's not true Gary Johnson and Jill Stein had every opportunity throughout this entire process to make themselves more well known the Green Party and the Libertarian Party for the past eight years have had the opportunity to run candidates for the Senate for the for for the House for local elections for your school board elections for city council for state politics do you know there's not that many people if you want to be taken seriously. You cannot just show up every four years and say, hey, I'm here and I want to be on the debate stage. You need to build your organization from the ground up. You need to make yourself legitimate. And then we can talk about you running for president. But I'm sorry. Like, if I don't think it's like this Catch-22 where they can't get on the debate stage so they don't poll well. Like, they could have been running ads. They could have made their platforms known. You know, like, there's lots of things that Gary Johnson and Jill Stein could have done going back even from the last time Jill Stein tried to run for president. You know, and in between them to grow a real organization. There's, you know, between the last time Jill Stein ran, which is 2012, and now has been four years. That's four years that, that she could have been building an organization and getting Green Party members elected to the House of Representatives. Man, How many? There, there is no, there is only one unaffiliated person in both houses of Congress, and that's Bernie Sanders.
1: So, for all you Bernie hippies out there, let me tell you guys something. So, I'm going to get really inside baseball. If you're not from New York, you might not know this, so I'll give you some background. In upstate New, New York and the area around Kingston, New York will say it is there's a Republican candidate by the name of James Amador. He just got his name put under the green party ballot line. You know why? Because there was, there wasn't anybody from the green party running and what usually happens in elections like this in New York state all over That people will just like try to get enough write-in votes so they can be put under a certain party line so they can pick up more votes. That's what happens when you don't have people running. You can change that though. If you're mad and you like to eat cup noodles with milk and not water and you think Bernie Sanders should be the one running for president and that uh, the primaries was a conspiracy because, you know, you didn't pay attention to politics for 25 years and you saw a Bernie meme and realized you were radical, then hey. Run for the Green Party. You can do that. Now, moving forward, because I do think we need to have this conversation before we end this segment. I really want to talk about the, ra- the racial conversation that happened at the presidential debate because it was problematic to say the least, in my opinion, confusing to say the most. So, during this conversation, Donald Trump described the black community, and that's I can co-sign me on this, as a complete disaster where you walk outside and you get shot. Yeah. Black people, Latino people, Is your community? Are you like? Are you just miserable all the time? Do you walk outside, take out the garbage, and get shot in the face every single day? If you do, please message me right now and tell me when you got shot and where you got shot, Selena.
0: Absolutely not. And when Donald Trump made those comments, um, it you can feel how disconnected he was to the African American community, especially me. I felt that because I was sitting at the Apollo, and we were all like, some people were even laughing at how ridiculous it was. What do
2: you have to lose? No, but no. I mean, those yeah. arguments.
0: The thing is, I understand he's trying to pander to that base, but there's a way to say that you, he's so offensive in trying to court black voters. Where it, it's it's ridiculous to this point. Well,
3: it was really that was probably as far as the entire experience of watching the debate at the Apollo went was one of the most memorable experiences for me because he's talking about. Black communities and how dangerous and terrible they are. Meanwhile, we're sitting in the heart of Harlem at the Apollo Theater and the place erupted in laughter when he said that because it was so unbelievable and disconnected and just, you know, it's like it was so removed from reality. And Hillary even said, you know, like whatever reality that you live in is not is not
2: real. But let's also not, listen, and uh, I'm a, you know, like I said, I'm voting for Hillary. I'm not, like, so gung-ho. But, like, some of the things she said, although she did say some good things, she talked about implicit bias, yeah. which was definitely a good thing. And there was another moment where she said something um, that it really sounds like she's she's listening um, and she's trying. I mean, I know she also sat down with Mary J. Blige, which is um, yeah. a, a separate thing uh, we could talk about during the News Roundup if we want to. Um, like, she's listening, but she also said a few things, like, at least one thing that was problematic about providing the police mm-hmm. with certain equipment. It's like, the police already have the equipment. Yeah. Like, I don't know why we're going back over this conversation because, like, the police getting better equipment is not fixing the relationship between the black community um, and and between the police department. So Dude. I do think that there were some problematic comments. Sure. Um, I disagree with Colin Kaepernick when he says that they were standing up there debating who was less racist. I think that was pushing it a little far, although I know some people do feel that way. Um, but I will Say like I, I do. Give her credit uh, for for at least listening or at least pretending that she's listening because there was only one candidate up there talking about implicit bias and it wasn't Donald Trump who was screaming about stop everything and frisk. is stop and frisk, everything is horrible and law and order, which we all know what that means, like we, I said the last time we had this conversation, which is you know, stop all the brown people because that's really exactly what he was saying
1: So the police only re- the police have drones that can blow you up from a distance they don't need more resources but I'm tired of hearing our voices, guys, we do have a call on the line and this is Donald he's been trying to call a couple of times. he like me may have Sprint which can explain why the calls kept getting dropped but Donald is right to so let his voice be heard. Donald give it to us. that sounds weird. Talk to us.
5: Yes good morning. I understand the debate side of it that says that um, because Jill Stein or Johnson wasn't on the stage that we're not going to know about them. But I would tend to think that if a lot of people don't want Trump or Hillary, that they're looking for another option. And just by that definition, these other candidates would have a fair shot. And it's pretty unfair to say that they can't win. Maybe they can't win electoral college-wise because that's what really makes the president. It's not really the popularity contest that we vote for anyway.
2: I, I think you make a decent point, but I would disagree with it. The, with it in this, which is if people really felt strongly that they didn't want to vote for Donald or Hillary, then. Jill Stein and Gary Johnson would be polling higher and if they were polling higher they would make the debate stage like if that was actually true if there was enough people that were like I really hate them and I really I've heard about these two other candidates I'm going to look into them then when they were and maybe those people aren't being polled but I find that hard to believe we have tons of polls they're calling landlines they're calling cell phones and they're also being conducted online so there's not a lack of polling like people would make you believe if that was 100% true if people were really that dissatisfied um, Um, Then they should answer those pollsters that they were that they're in favor of voting for Gary Johnson or Jill Stein and that would increase their poll numbers and then they would end up on the debate stage.
1: So, guys, we do have to start wrapping up this conversation, um, but I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts that I seem to be having at this very moment. So, first of all, let me be very clear with you. If you needed this debate to figure out if you were going to vote for Hillary or Trump, you are a liar and either you're a liar or you're completely ignorant. Because it is very obvious what we are dealing with. We are dealing with a burning bag of condoms that also has some trickles of syphilis on them. And then we have Hillary Clinton. Those are your two options. Syphilis or Hillary Clinton. You choose. I'm not into STDs. But, if for some reason you just didn't know what was happening over the last, I don't know, year and a half, two years, let me explain to you. You have one man who is promising to build a wall to block people from coming here. The same man also says we should ban Muslim people from being from coming into this country. He would ban Beanie Siegel from coming and staying in America. That's right, guys. Mac. We can't have that. This is the same person that called black people savages and says that we live in complete terror and that after seeing a man get shot by a cop while he had his hands in the air and was putting it on his car so that he, can, he, can, he could comply, the cop shot him and killed him, and there were people that was defending him. This man, Trump, says, oh, we need more law and order. This is a man who put out a full-page ad in the New York Times in the late 80s, early 90s to criminalize a bunch of teenagers who were accused of rape and put in jail for a rape that they did not commit. This is the guy that we're talking about. This is a guy who cannot keep a consistent stream of thought for no more than 10 minutes. I've been here for 36 minutes, and I still make somewhat sense, and I'm hungover. He couldn't do it on cocaine. There's nothing to choose from. You pick Hillary Clinton, and then you get mad two years from now, and you vote in some Green Party candidates to make your hippie heart feel better, or you pick Hillary Clinton, and you stay politically active from now on because there's no such thing as not being political. Everything is politics. You don't believe me? That shirt you bought from H&M, it was made with child labor. Welcome to politics. We'll be right back, guys. When we do return, it'll be the news roundup where we'll talk about everything from why I can't drink Hennessy after 10 p.m. on Fridays to how Donald Trump's taxes came out from 1995 and he didn't pay taxes in 18 years. Or did he? This is the News Roundup, and during this time period, people on Facebook Live pay attention, people on Ustream pay attention, people on Politically Preposterous pay attention, because during this time, we talk about our favorite news stories throughout the week. So if you have a news story, something that made you laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, do a cat daddy and twist your ankle like I did that one time in 2014, please share it with us. And in this week's News Roundup, we have a lot of stuff, or as I like to say, this week in Black People Love Neck Bones in Hennessy. Guess who... Just had some serious beef on Twitter. Who? You guys don't know? Oh, so I know. Oh, let's see this week. All right, so Rob Kardashian, right? Hi. You know, he's um engaged to Black China, who also has his baby, and Black China's, the father of Black China's first child, is. um. The, and, another and, Kardashian you, and you're is.
2: wondering why Donald <laughs> Trump is the major party? Wait, wait. wait. For <inaudible> Republicans? No, oh. Kylie Jenner's <laughs> current boyfriend.
1: Yes, Kylie Jenner's current boyfriend is a father of Black China's first child. Which means when Kylie Jenner marries Rob Kardashian, their son.
3: No, not Kylie Jenner marrying. Rob Sorry, Kardashian. sorry. One, that once Black, be
1: incest. once well, it is a little incest anyway. It is. It once is. Black China marries Rob Kardashian, the child that they have will be cousins and brothers.
2: Well, you know, in Donald <laughs> Trump's America, <laughs> incest is. Perfectly okay. God. But here's how you it gets know, don't better. You know? He thinks his daughter is super hot. Oh, he's Ugh.
1: disgusting. Ugh. Rob Kardashian apparently got really upset because the Kardashians were going to throw a baby shower and not invite Black China. So during the debate, because the Kardashians cannot let anyone else have the shine, he tweeted out Kylie Jenner's cell phone number. <gasps> yes
6: Robbed
0: yes to his sister yes
1: he was like how dare you have a baby shower and not invite the woman that, that i love so shady. then put out her number like that's her real number and no i wasn't hacked so of course you know me because i'm petty i texted like yo rob is wild <laughs> for that just to see if she was. No, i didn't text her just, <laughs> but yeah so that's what happened so while you guys were paying attention to politics i was on my sixth drink and i was finding out what was you happening over up. there so that is what happened. And listen, this is what happens when you tweet when you're on cocaine. You, you, can't, you can't do it, guys. So that's my favorite news story for the week, or at least for Monday. What do you guys have for me?
2: Um, tax returns? Definitely. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, so yeah. yeah. That's like-, like the big story. You know, listen, I can't say it on the radio, but um, my my love, uh, Joe Biden, had the best line when health oh, yeah. insurance passed. He said, that's a BFD. Yeah. Yes. If you don't know what BFD is, you can go Urban Dictionary it, but this is a BFD. And I know we touched upon during the last segment, yeah. but we were really talking about the debate, and I really want to talk about this story.
0: No, yeah, definitely. So, it turns out, the New York Times, late last night, it was like a Saturday night yeah. around, what, like, 10 p.m., mm-hmm. they drop, they release a, a part of Donald Trump's tax returns uh, from 1995, and it reveals that he, um, he was in debt by, I think, $900 million, and because of that, he has not had to pay taxes for the, like, last 20 years. So, he has been evading that, and it's Possibly, possibly. Possibly. And it's completely legal because, as we mentioned earlier in the show, he's it's a, bad using a He's using a loophole. And the thing is, one of his, you know, big policies, on one of his big platforms is um, tax, uh, an overhaul on our tax policy, right? But I want to, I'm thinking, would he actually close those loopholes no. that he himself has benefited from and a lot of rich, wealthy, other businessmen like him? So, I mean, that's the question no, that raising And the answer is no. <laughs> like, the
3: answer is absolutely But did he say that, no? No, but of course, but he has said that taking advantage of those loopholes has made him smart. So why mm. on earth would he, it would not be smart, according to his logic, to close any loophole that he would benefit from. So,
2: no, he's not going to do anything. To- um, I, I just want to give you the, the quick Trump news rundown. So, so far this week, we've had Donald Trump was actually in a sex tape even though he's tweeting about other people being in a Wasn't sex Wasn't he pouring state.
1: champagne on a ship like or something yeah, like that? In, a,
2: in some kind of Hugh Hefner thing. That, <laughs> that's being reported by BuzzFeed. That's really feed. fun, Jackie. Don't okay. knock it till you try it. The Trump Foundation does not have the certification that was required for his charities to solicit money.
1: Oh, didn't means... they go to Cuba, too?
2: Oh, and, yes, and that was the last story. And um, Trump's companies were doing business with Cuba during the time when it was totally illegal to do business with Cuba. Smart. So on top of the legal tax evasion, we also have the... The illegal, uh, the illegal solicitation of money from the Trump Foundation, and uh, compared to the Clinton Foundation, which, by the way, eighty-nine percent of the money went to actually help people, and the other eleven percent of the money went to actually pay the overhead to run the foundation. Better than Red Cross. Um, Yeah, it's been ranked better than the Red Cross, and we have the illegal doing business with Cuba. So we got one legal thing that's completely and highly unethical, and then we have the two illegal things. But yet, he's still a, a, a legitimate candidate for president which is something i don't understand and they continue to throw um complete and t- total bullish against the wall about hillary that um is completely untrue to claim Killery. that she's not uh qualified or jacko something. i i have a question
3: for you guys and maybe i should have asked this in the last segment but this reminds me of maybe this you shouldn't <laughs> you didn't let me um is that you know in trump's sort of pride in taking advantage of corporate loopholes and making so much money on the backs of people paying their taxes. Do you think that this debate was sort of his, in parts his 47% moment? No. No? you Because what I am so sticks. amazed by, and this is the thing that, like, I've been trying so hard to understand the psyche of people who are...
1: A white people uh, who are voting for Trump. Who are voting for Trump. Let's be clear about that. Yeah, it's
2: yeah, not yeah. just white people. Um, it's like
1: seven black people and two Puerto Ricans. I
2: know, but, like, at least give them credit. Yeah, no, but there are, you know, what could make
3: you vote for Trump, and I think, you know, in a lot of ways, people have been attracted to the sense of he's anti-establishment, he's not going to take advantage of us and just say he's going to do all this stuff like Hillary might, right? But he's so clearly interested in nepotism, and he's so clearly self-interested in just making himself richer and taking advantage of this position
2: that, like, did he expose that to but, people who are his supporters? I listen to Lena. Yeah, here's the thing. So people who like him, they like the fact that he's avoided paying taxes. They say that does make him smart. He's right. Right? There's people who are looking at him and going, wow, he profited off of 5 million people losing his homes. That's smart. That's but- good business. Like, you and I are finding that to be disgusting because we just think it's morally reprehensible that somebody could make a profit off But not off just of-
3: morally reprehensible. I mean, you're electing a president who's supposed to lead you, right? So many of the people that are in support of Trump are people who lost their homes during the financial Crisis. Well, so, there's also
2: cognitive dissonance sure. there. I mean, during 2012, I went home to my hometown during Hurricane Sandy. There were people waiting online to get handouts yep. from FEMA, and they had Mitt Romney signs in their line on their lawn. And this was after Mitt Romney said he would abolish FEMA. So right. we have a cognitive dissonance here. I wanted, that's, I wanted to go that's to a Selena. Good point.
0: No and, and I think that Trump does a good job of speaking that language. Um, the Trump campaign to me has really exposed just how racist this country is because yeah. he continues to make very inflammatory offensive remarks about anybody of color or doesn't or, or who who happens to not be Christian and yet and still he just continues to grow in popularity. So I think that he's just saying what a lot of people have been thinking and because he speaks so blunt or like he dumbs down everything. I think a lot of people actually understand him and they feel like they he's very relatable whereas you have someone like Hillary Clinton who's extremely intellectual and smart and a policy wonk and they're like I don't know what she's saying she's speaking over me but I can understand every time Trump uses the words bigly and huge. But if, so. if, 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 you
2: know here's the thing it's then you have to statement. look in the mirror and say am I qualified to be president and if the answer is no that means Donald's not either. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, that's a good I, I have a good story <laughs> that I wanted to tell you about, but I wanted to get you to your final thoughts. Well, on no, this no,
1: thing. I had a new story too, so you go first, and I'll go. Okay,
2: second. so a U.S. district judge in Arkansas blocked um, Planned Parenthood defunding, so that's a good. Oh, that's, that's a that plus. A good that's thing, that's a good. Yes. Good news uh, for but, this week. No, there's no but in this. Oh, I thank mean, I, well, they're gonna appeal it. Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson last year terminated the organization's Medicaid contract um, because of those secretly recorded videos that we all know were like. Yeah. Um, and then um, the judge, in a U.S. district judge, as I said, issued a preliminary injunction. She's preventing Arkansas from suspending payments to Planned Parenthood for any services to Medicaid patients. Because what ends up happening is when, uh, you know, as we've already discussed many, many times on the show, 97% of what Planned Parenthood does is, um, you know, just providing health services to women and, and mostly to, um, you know, lower income women and especially lower income women of color. And so when you defund Planned Parenthood, uh, especially because of the Hyde Amendment, which already says that no public funds can go to abortions, Mm -hmm. what you're really defunding is money that's going away, uh, you know, going to women who really need health care. It's not even money that's going to abortions. And in my mind, it shouldn't matter because I think the Hyde Amendment should be repealed. um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I think that we should go back to a... Period. And, and, you know, I'm like I said, you know, I don't want to get into a big debate about abortion. I, I don't think anybody's in favor of abortion. Obviously, yeah. it's pro-choice, not pro-abortion. But I think we've also gotten to a position where I feel like we're always defending the we're always saying like, oh, 97 percent of what they do isn't abortions. Well, 3 percent is is. And you know what? Good.
1: Yeah, so that's thanks for that, Liston. Thanks for a little, I guess, soliloquy or a rant on that because that was definitely important. I got into an argument with some pro-lifers on Monday, and it was very nerve-wracking. So, guys, I do want to close up the news roundup with one last. Well, actually, we have a little bit more time, so I'll just say this: This <laughs> week, in white people's tears, tastes like the scooter prison pipeline. A Pennsylvania mayor put up a Facebook status in which there was a rope, and it said this, a, a noose, and it said this one's for you, Barack Obama. <gasps> Yes, and he's been posting all kinds of racist. Even Ashna's like, hold up, where he at? You wanna run through to this crib, right? We could do. You know, he got a shotgun. We're not gonna make it. We, we can slide through with the goons, gang, gang. But um, anyways, I was saying,
2: racism's it, dead because we have black president. Didn't well, you know? We Nobody have alerted a, you. A
1: negro mixed metrosexual president get it right Alyssa. so um obviously i thought he he
2: was the muslim he is he's a muslim kenyan
1: mixed metrosexual president who's dropping mixtapes like hot oh
2: wait was he born in america now even donald trump admitted the united states
1: of kenya so (laughs) he he's putting up a whole bunch of racist things and the city council is like hey maybe you should resign city council just impeach him yeah. So that's that's the news that kind of made me scratch my head and go, hmm. Oh, and Barack J. Kwan, Hussein Obama got some flack this week because he said, Colin Kaepernick should consider the feelings of people yeah. who have families who are veterans. Now before... He said that? Yeah. yeah, yeah he now did. let me give you some context no, for you gotta it No, you've got to watch the whole clip. Yeah. At the town hall, somebody asked him, like, what about what Colin Kaepernick's doing? He said, listen, Colin Kaepernick has a right to do what he's doing. He That's his freedom of speech. But just like he has a right to do it, he should consider what like what? how his actions might affect somebody else, but you should also consider how your actions affect him yeah. and also to c- consider and ask yourself, why is he doing this? So pretty much what Obama has been saying for eight years is, listen to each other. That's all he said, yep. Selena.
0: Yeah, and, and just to keep things within context, like you know, he's still President Obama, and I think that he has to, you know, somewhat come across very balanced. I would never say anything like that because I think right. that you know the two issues are separate, and I would never put them in one sentence together. But I understand why he says that, yeah. b- speaking
3: from like uh, from the executive branch as yeah. the president. I am so. so excited to see post. I mean, I don't want him to leave Whoa. office, but I'm so excited. I think excited Obama's a capital. Post.
1: I'm telling you, as soon as as soon as Donald. Trump gets inaugurated. Obama's gonna shimmy and grab his cane and just walk away. Well, but-
3: speaking of,
0: um, you know, wishing and, and hoping for the next president to be Hillary Clinton and not Donald Trump. The vice presidential debate is coming up on right. Tuesday, and if you guys really love us as much as you say you do, mm-hmm. you will join us in watching it here in Harlem at a restaurant Isn't called it Nabe? Nabe Harlem. I it was Nabe. No, no, it's, it's Nabe. Nabe. I
1: want to say my name. <laughs> like it just
2: it's I mean, Nabe. It makes sense to me because it's like it's in the neighborhood, right? So that's why I'm. Mean, it's provocative. Appreciate... It gets well, people it's, going. it's a it's, it's a Japanese, Japanese restaurant. Gotcha. It's
0: like a Japanese soulful restaurant. It's
3: amazing. You really guys should good. Definitely come
0: out. The yeah. ambiance is amazing. It's on 127th Street and Frederick Frederick Douglass. And before we even watch the debate, Stanley's actually going to be on a panel debating some Trump support. No, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm I'm blowing it up. Yeah, yeah, so I'm moderating a panel. Um, Stanley's going to be on the panel. We have a great... Diverse group right, of the politically, politically put the camera on me experts. When a woman's talking, experts. we don't pay
1: attention because this is America, all right? So I'll tell you guys what's happening now. Hey, shh, shh, shh,
0: shh, I just shh, said shh, it. Shh, shh, Any, what? anyway? Shh, shh. So, anyways, anyways guys, right? let
1: your voice be heard. Is anyway. having a panel on October fourth at Nabe on 127th Street in Frederick Douglass. We'll be watching the vice presidential debate, but before that happens, a woman will be asking men <laughs> questions about. <laughs>
0: No, it's not just men on the panel either. (laughs) Anyway, so Stanley just said everything I said, but you guys should definitely come out. It's a free
2: event. It starts at 630 be there, Stanley. Why are you not smiling for us? You're supposed to smile. Let's go. Listen,
1: I already put on my jeggings for y'all. Okay.
2: All right. I'm talking to you. That means you're supposed to smile at me.
1: So, guys. Um,
2: <laughs> what is happening in here?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So we have a lot of inside jokes going on right now. In case you have no idea what the heck we're talking about, sometimes we like to throw out some um jokes at each other. That, <laughs> that kind of reverse. That kind of reverse what culture does. So society tells women to smile. It tells women to be, you know, beautiful and to do all these things. So sometimes they'll say to me, Stanley, why aren't you smiling? Today I thought I could wear sweatpants and they were a bit tight, so I've been I've been getting objectified all day. And because you know women get objectified, that's why it's funny. And then sometimes I, <laughs> I act said like a sexist. your butt was nice,
2: so how come you didn't smile at me? Well, you know
1: what? I don't like that, okay? And I am a human being, okay? Fingernail emoji. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so th- that, that's where it comes from, guys. We'll wrong. Sp- <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wrong.
5: We'll,
1: we'll try to stop with that, and I will also try to cut down on my white people slander. White people, I love you. I just like you do have to cut you. down. Go Listen, Jack. You're my white devil princess. You understand.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Well, so on that note, we actually do have to wrap up the news roundup. But don't go anywhere. When we come back from break, we'll be speaking about the ongoing prison work strike that you probably haven't heard about if you subscribe to media outlets like CNN, Washington Post, and the New York Times. So we'll tell you about it here and let your voice be heard.
1: She Pakistan, better. Foreigns in them lounge, better. About to f this club up, better. Dick, dick.
6: Big trope woman wants some more. Hey.
1: Bands and make her dance. bur Bands and make her dance. Gucci. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. This is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen, and Ashnette on the PC Ones and Twos and Facebook Lives. Selena is mad because I played Juicy J and not the gospel rapper she slid into my DMs <laughs> the other day. I will never play gospel rap on here unless oh Selena's is not here. No, D- she's
0: talking about D1. He's an amazing rapper who she's just like, happened. If
1: you love Jesus Christ, go and pop up. Now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, seriously, he, he does. Like gospel, it's like gospel trap i don't know but <laughs> anyway guys my new trap. favorite genre of yes, music gospel
1: make her dance just, hold on, hold on. you guys, guys want to hear it her too dance. right I look, am,
0: look how innovative they listen are
3: listen
2: to me i definitely want to hear that Thank short hair like gospel me long. praying
1: every single day now, jesus christ my savior Brr. No. have you
2: ever heard but, Mod- modest yahoo anyway no that's like hebrew jam band he isn't uh Orthodox
3: Hasidic Jew Reggae artist
1: You can never be cool As Hebrew and reggae Those two things Don't go together Yo, No
3: it actually does Believe don't. It or not
0: The
1: Jews are revolting
3: <laughs> Well I'll just say this
0: <laughs> Maybe we should Diversify Our music selection Maybe Stanley, Stanley Should play things Other than i It Fine, is our holiday Stanley some...
3: Be respectful
1: Oh happy Rosh Hashanah Thank, Thank you. you You're, You're welcome
0: Alright guys So we're back Um, Again, my name is Selena Hill. We're here with Stanley Fritz, our DJ, who plays all the trap music. So you can either thank him or not thank him. This is Sunday. Who wants to
1: praise God on Sunday morning?
0: Just most church people. We also have Alyssa Fuchs. Uh, Jackie Cohen and our intern, Astonette, here. Now, Aston
1: Martin is what we call her now.
0: Aston Martin? No, right. no, no. So, guys, so for the last three weeks, uh, inmates around the country in about 40 different prisons in over 20 different states have been partaking in the largest prison work strike in U.S. history. At one point, it was reported that there were about 20,000 prisoners on strike. However, you may not know about it because there's been a media blackout. A number of mainstream outlets, including ones that lean to the left supposedly, have not been covering this. Now, the strike began on September 9th to mark the 45th anniversary of the Attica Prison Revolt in upstate New York, where prisoners um, their—they basically overtook the prison to fight for better conditions. However, it ended in the deaths of 10 guards and 33 inmates. So now that we have this ongoing prison strike, and it's in its fourth week now, it's approaching approaching the fourth week, um, thousands of incarcerated workers are refusing to work uh, because they're protesting long-term isolation, bad health care, horrible food, violent attacks, etc. They're also demonstrating against what has been called the practice of slave labor. uh, Accurate. Pretty much because the average inmate working a job in a state prison facility makes about 20 cents an hour. Meanwhile, in at least three states, and I'm talking about Texas, Georgia, and Arkansas, they work for no pay at all. Now, as a result of the cheap prison labor, the industry produces about 2 billion, billion with a B two billion dollars worth of product output each year and in turn these profits go to private corporations and help the rich get richer selena
1: i'm sorry i know you're doing an intro they're working for free <laughs> that is legitimately slavery <laughs> right what do you well, want to call the prisoners interns well That's... it's
0: it's it's not because under the 13th amendment um it's actually made an exclusion yeah. for people who are in jail or in prison so constitutionally they, that's not yeah, white people go,
1: cover but all their racist basis, don't pretty they pretty
0: much yeah no pr- pretty much and we'll speak more about that afterwards now um, so in response to the ongoing strike prisoners have faced very harsh punishment including being put on lockdown some are being kept in their cells others have even been put in solitary confinement so to help us with this conversation we have Azura uh, Crispino who is calling in all the way from Austin Texas she is the media co-chair of the incarcerated workers organizing committee now i just want to say the incarcerated workers organizing committee has doing a phenomenal job in pretty much organizing these prisoners across state lines to protest in unison and they're pretty much acting as um the people communicating with outsiders outsiders like ourselves so hey what's up azura
6: what a beautiful introduction. I feel like you pretty much said it all. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. There's
0: so, there's so much more to, to talk about. And, you know, thanks so much for calling in today. So, you know, I want to start here. Um, this is not just about the fact that the prisoners either get paid a few cents a day or some aren't getting paid at all, it's about their repression. So, let's, I, I want you to, you know, just talk about this nationwide strike and what the prisoners are fighting for, if you can just delve into that a little bit more.
6: Sure. So the call for prisoners to be paid minimum wage is not just to help their daily conditions. So certainly if a prisoner has the money to be able to call home, that's going to help them strengthen that relationship with their mom or their children, and that can be really important. But it's also about, as you said, the fact that the prison system or the prison industrial complex is a huge money-making business. And so if prisoners were paid minimum wage, there wouldn't be an economic incentive for these companies to be hiring prisoners instead of hiring outside workers.
0: Guys, if you are just tuning in, we have on our line with us Azura uh, Crispino. She is calling in from Austin, Texas, and she's part of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. And I know Jackie wanted to ask you a specific question. Yeah, so
3: in learning more about this issue, what I've been so amazed by is how um, those on the inside have been able to organize themselves in such a unified way. And as somebody that organizes for a living, I, I can't imagine how challenging it must be to organize individuals who are incarcerated who don't have access to a cell phone. I mean, can you talk to us a bit, Azara, about the logistics and organizing um, inmates and, you know, what have the challenges been in doing so?
6: Sure. So censorship has been a huge challenge. Basically, in terms of how does the rubber meet the road, I walk and other organizations send mail into prisoners telling them about a call for the national strike, or just providing literature that helps to radicalize them and helps them to be able to organize themselves and each other. So it really should be mentioned that this strike was called for by prisoners. Prisoners are organizing each other. Those of us who are on the outside are just trying to help and uplift their voices. And there has been a huge coalition of people it's best to think of IWOC as the web between all of them. But because we're part of the industrial workers of the world, we have a little bit more resources in terms of being able to get the word out. Um, but it's been difficult because of censorship. Like, I think it was in Nevada, none of our mail could get through to any prisoner talking about the strike. So in certain cases, it's been trying to sneak in the message into otherwise innocuous-looking mail. Sometimes it's been done by prison visits or um, really any means. But the reality is that the conditions are so horrible, and prisoners recognize that they are in a system of legal slavery, that the moment that they hear about a call for a national strike, a lot of people are in. Like, we received messages from prisoners after the strike had already begun saying, I hadn't heard about this. But this is awesome. I want to join in. When's the next one? Can I
0: still do this? Wow. Azura, you said something that's really important. You said that our prisoners right now are involved in legal slavery. And I just wanted to, to get some more context behind that because although, again, the 13th Amendment abolished slavery, it exempted criminals. So, and, and, and on top of that, a number of courts have consistently said that prison workers are not employees. So they're not entitled to any of the protections that work. In the free world, get so that includes if you you know getting compensation for um, a disability, choosing not to work, um, you know they cannot organize, uh, they can't unionize, things of that nature. So if you can just, um, so the question I have for you is, how do we prevent this? If this is in the Constitution, if this is a form of legal slavery, can it can it ever be overturned? There's
6: been a call to amend the 13th. And Malik Washington out of Texas, currently in solitary confinement for his organizing efforts, as well as Jailhouse Lawyer Speak out of South Carolina. Dee is going to be on the line to tell you more about that. They're organizing a Million Prisoners March on Washington on August 19th of 2017, precisely to call for a constitutional amendment. Free Alabama movement has called for a freedom bill to be entered into the Alabama legislature that would try to address this issue. But I think what's most important right now is to support the prisoners who are striking themselves. And real quick, I just want to mention, it's work stoppages and hunger strikes. Because for prisoners who are in supermax or in solitary confinement, they're not allowed to go to jobs, so they have to go on hunger strike. Like. In Virginia, at Red Onion Facility, there were 16 or 17 prisoners who held a hunger strike for two weeks, um, dying to live in Wisconsin. They've been on hunger strike for more than 100 days. Merced County Jail in California rolled off hunger strike, and then they're about to roll back on. But getting back to this legal question, we really need to create a mass movement to fight mass incarceration. And that can be done by not calling the cops when you have a conflict because somebody is going to end up going to jail or prison and it's not a good thing. If you can avoid calling the police, please consider doing so. Let's resolve our conflicts ourselves and let's do whatever we can to support the prisoners. Uh, Azura,
0: let me just, uh, can you just clarify? So you're saying that people who may be a victim of some type of crime should not call the cops to help them? Can you clarify?
6: Well... I do think it's important to get help, but I think we also need to recognize, especially in the in light of what's happening in Charlottesville, North Carolina, and in many other places around the country, that the police are not always on our side and that often people end up incarcerated for what they've done wrong in a way that doesn't end up actually helping out the community. So in terms of tangible things that people can do, you can write to prisoners You can write in to prison officials when repression is occurring. You can call in to prison officials. But I'm also asking people to consider alternatives to just picking up 911 if it's a conflict that can be resolved in some other way. So
3: something that I was thinking about a lot in in reading more about this issue is that, you know, the, on average, um, an inmate who works in a prison makes between 15, 20 cents an hour, which is practically nothing. And, um, you know, I I would have to think that if we were to raise the wage for these inmates who are working, who are doing, you know, hard work um, and deserve the same equal protections, labor protections that people on the outside have, um, That would be expensive, right? Like that would be expensive. But maybe that would force us to consider who are we incarcerating and why. If it's so expensive to, um, you know, to install prison labor uh, programs, then maybe we would be a little bit more careful about who we were throwing into jail in the first place and limit incarceration levels. So
1: good point Jackie I just want to plug real quick guys if you're listening and you want to call in with a question or a comment our number is 212 650-6903 again that is 212 650-6903 if you're on Facebook live leave a comment we're talking about the prison strikes going on you haven't heard about it because the media hasn't covered it Alyssa?
2: Yeah no I just wanted to give you some numbers here so um, right now about uh, give. I mean these are approximate numbers so at least half of the nation's 1.5 million prisoners have a job in prison in some States, it's actually a, have actually a work requirement, which means if you're able-bodied, you must work; otherwise, you will face disciplinary consequences. Uh, according to data that was collected by the Bureau of Justice Statistics, about 700,000 prisoners have daily jobs. They do everything from helping to run a prison, mopping cell floors, mowing lawns, preparing and serving food. Uh, they do GED tutoring, file papers in the chaplain's office, shelf books in the library. About 60,000 inmates participate in "quote unquote" correctional industries that are designed to mimic real-world jobs, um, which basically uh, in some cases amount to $472 million in net sales um, that from the, the things that are made out of these programs. Mm-hmm. I mean, like right here in New York State, um, a lot of times prisoners make uh, furniture f- that is used in our schools um, and also press license plates and something else. Um, as has already been mentioned, courts have ruled over and over and over again consistently that prisoner workers are not employees, that this is part of their punishment slash rehabilitation that they are not entitled to the protections that job workers uh, sorry that people regular workers have um, that they're not free to leave their their job if they choose and that they are not free to have access to workers compensation or disability if they get injured and they're also not allowed to organize as was mentioned they also need not be paid minimum wage the typical hour wage is 23 cents which is up from a dollar 15 per hour um now uh, that is—and and, and that's a big reason behind this strike. And I obviously agree with these prisoners. Those are harsh conditions and hard labor that they are being made to do for very, very little money. Um, and I think that they should get a raise. They deserve it, and I think well, that- that, that that's a big reason why I'm glad that the strike is going on, especially there's numerous other reasons for this first strike. The prison conditions, is one of them, and I can speak about that at length. I will hold off on those comments for now. On the other hand, and I just want to raise this, uh, just to play devil's advocate, even though I agree with everything, which is, the other thing that could happen is the government could decide to pay them nothing, literally. They could say, we're not going to pay you anything, right? So the the drawback to this is, you know, we have to find some kind of balance in, yes, we all, I think, here, think that the prisoners should be paid more and should have better conditions. Prisoners also want to have jobs because if not, then they just languish around and they, they don't have anything to do all day. And a lot of people that are incarcerated is, you know, a lot of, you know, I've spoken to people at length about this. I deal with incarcerated people every day will tell you they want to work so the flip side is we also have to be careful we want to have a strike we want to have movement forward movement Um, we want to have people on the outside working to you know have people in prison being paid more and have better conditions at the same time? We want to make sure that we don't end up in a situation where they get rid of jobs altogether or reduce the wages to zero, because that would be but one of the it's possible. It's already
3: zero cho- in many states anyway. It is,
2: it is. But then, like I said, the next step is they could just take the jobs away. I don't, and,
3: I don't see that happening though. Let's well, be real. right?
2: Because they want forced labor. Right. I get that, but at the same, like they could, in theory, if they know that prisoners use jobs as a way to keep themselves occupied, then they could say, "Hey, we're not going to occupy you anymore." Sure. Right. Um, okay. So um,
0: on that note, um, Azora, unfortunately, we're going to have to um, go to a quick break. But before we do, if you can just tell us, you know, whether are the, the next steps moving forward? Really briefly, I know you were speaking about a fight, uh, taking the fight to Washington next year and having a million man fight for, uh, you know, people behind bars. If you can just speak to that and then tell us how people can get in touch with you.
6: So, people can get in touch with IWOC by emailing us at IWOC at RiseUp.net. The march is being organized by Jill House Lawyers' Speak, but we're happy to support them, but that is their initiative out of South Carolina. Um, And there are plenty of other ways that people can support by engaging in repression response. Please check out It'sGoingDown.net and support prisonresistance.net.
0: Thank you again so much Azara for calling in. Don't go anywhere guys. We do have to take a quick break but when we come back we have D calling in who is currently incarcerated from a prison in South Carolina. Don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Before we went on break, we were talking to Azura uh, Crispino, who is from the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, and we're talking about that ongoing prison strike across the nation. Now we have D calling in. He is an incarcerated worker who's calling in from a South Carolina prisoner. Now we're going to call him D to protect his identity. As I mentioned when we first started this segment a lot of uh prisoners and organizers have been undergoing a number of repercussions for participating in this ongoing strike so we're just going to call him d thank you so much d for calling in today
5: thank you for having me on
0: morning d good morning so you you know, D, I wanted you to uh, talk about some of the repercussions you or maybe an or an incarcerated worker that you know that you know of has actually gone through just because you're fighting for better food, uh, livable wages, the fact to have some rights as an incarcerated worker.
5: Yes. Um, well, it's a number of uh, number of I like to call them retaliatory acts, uh, political repressions around these um, around these prisoners fighting, including myself. Um, a lot of times um, prisoners are um, confined to their cells. Um, this confinement may take place for a number of weeks. Um, that means no recreation, no telephone, nor, uh, no visitation with their families or friends, um, not even buying some basic necessities from the commissary or store, some people call it, um, all the way up to being confined in the solitary confinement. In uh, solitary confinement, you can be confined all the way up to a year. Um, it just depends on your track record in the prison system. Uh, we've also had a number of reports as related to retaliatory shakedowns, meaning um, guards may be going into certain strike leaders' rooms or uh, people they feel are uh, instigators, and just taking small things like their family pictures from them, uh, stepping on their family pictures, destroying their food. Um, it's just a host of problems that we're dealing with right now uh, with the um, system as it relates to this um, strike.
0: You know, Dee, I- even though we're here, you know we're allies with you and the movement. There's some people out there who would say, "Why even give the time of the of a day? Give the time of day to someone who's committed a criminal act and now supposedly wants some type of rights? Like this is all a part of the system." You know what? What do you say to those people who just feel like they can't empathize and they don't see this as a human rights issue?
5: Um, I would say this here first of all: the the way the system is designed. Um, in this design, where you or anyone can end up in this predicament at any time, um, I will also tell people that what they don't know is that crime—the time that prisoners have—is really has absolutely nothing to do with their crime. So a lot of these um, sentences are economically driven. You have private companies, corporations that has, that have put forth millions to enhance sentencing, to um, criminalize statutes to the extreme. So uh, a lot of people that would say, you know, uh, we would uh, we don't want to waste no time on this, or we don't see uh, why we should be paying any attention to this right here, I would say to here, remember, remember, uh, the lowest of your society is usually your moral compass. And uh, today we're showing our moral compass as it relates to humanity is at an all-time low.
3: Yeah. I have a question for you, Dee. So... Um, In discussing paying inmates a livable wage uh, for their work, do you think that that would benefit inmates who have families on the outside? Um, Because I know I read a recent statistic that said that 50% um, of all families with a parent who is incarcerated are more likely to use Medicaid, they're two times more likely to use food stamps. Do you think that by paying inmates a livable wage, they would be able to um, help support their families who have to continue life on the outside?
5: Um, I think that's a great question. Um, we have to remember something. Over, first of all, the prison, the prison class is predominantly of the poor. Um, they are uh, ninety over ninety percent of nothing more than poor people. So these are coming from uh, uh, these are definitely class wars that's taking place um, in the court system, judicial system in this country. So that means a lot of the families. They are definitely um, uh, from poor economic backgrounds. Um, childrens are struggling. Um, a lot of times, based on the, um, the poverty, these children themselves end up victims of the judicial system. Um, I do feel like if prisoners were uh, allowed to be paid um, fair wages, um, it would uh, help the families out there. I right? think because right now the uh, prison systems throughout the country, they exploit these poor families on the outside. I mean, commissary prices are sky high, um, all the way down to uh, medical needs. Uh, they're charging us for medical needs, in some cases, room and boards. Um, So it is definitely a burden on the family um, themselves. So with this help, yes, it absolutely would help
2: know yeah, um, yeah, just to add to that actually yeah not all, uh, like what he just said the when you have to turn to family members then to pay for things the rising cost of commissary but for a second we could talk about the phone calls um, a phone a single phone call through like a company like global Tell Link um, can cost somebody if if you're accepting a collect call can cost somebody on the outside nine dollars just mm-hmm. for a minute or two of calling to set up a prepaid account can cost you thirty forty dollars and one single phone call on that prepaid account can be ten dollars so there are definitely outside private companies that are making money off the backs of prisoners who are getting paid next to nothing. Uh, that said, I wanted to switch gears a second and ask you, D. I I um, do a lot of police misconduct and a lot of um, uh corrections misconduct lawsuits. Um, I know a lot of this strike has been about labor and about the the wages, but um, I know part of it also has to do with prison conditions. Now, I know you can only speak about the conditions that are uh, at the prison that you are in, but I also wanted to get your thoughts on um, what portion of the strike is also being used to focus on the issues of the conditions of prisons, um, uh, including things like uh, you know abuse of inmates by corrections officers. Um, I know that you're obviously in a Men's prison, but in women's prisons, we see women being raped by corrections officers. Um, there are uh, corrections officers that are basically no better than some of the people that are in prison, bringing in uh, drugs and other contraband. Um, are, what kind of issues uh, about those are being addressed um, through the strike? Are, are you guys focusing on those issues as well?
5: Um, yes. Uh, first of all, let me say that um, we are very much so um, um, connected throughout the nation as it relates to uh, as, as it relates to this movement. Um, that's developing in this country today um, behind prisoners' human rights. Um, definitely, over, uh, to us, particularly, where I'm at right now, um, including a um, majority of the prisoners I've spoken to throughout the nation, um, this entire... The, the wages are only a part of the um, of the strike. It's also to bring uh, mass attention uh, to the uh, devastating effects of uh, mass imprisonment, as well as the um, um, violations of human rights of prisoners in general, um, and a lot of those things, like you say, how much is being dedicated to it, I think if you would look at some of the list of demands, you may find at the very top, um, all of us prisoners nationally, we agree with the um, abolishment and hold apart the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution, and then the wages, and then you will find a list uh, based on the state, they may vary, a list of uh, issues, Um, that may be surrounding uh, retaliation, police brutality, all the way up to police killing. Um, And and I think it's also important for me to point out, we don't see the police killings on the street as separate uh, from the uh, brutality that's taking place in the prisons. We feel it's all connected to one thread, and that thread leads us back to the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution.
0: Thank you so much, Dee. And before we let you go, I just want to ask you, how can we be allies in the fight against unprayer prison labor? We on the outside.
5: One more time, I didn't hear you.
0: How can we be allies? I mean, you know, we on the free world, we as outsiders, um, you know, we can't fight in, you know, the same way that you can by refusing to work. But what can we do? What can people listening do to help this fight and your movement?
5: Um, well, I would say first of all, uh, join, a, um, join some join some groups that is already organizing with the prisoners on the inside, and I would definitely have to recommend off the top Ewok. Uh, they've done a fabulous job. Um, they're actually uh, working uh, with the prisoners, ensuring that the prisoners' voices are heard. Um, so uh, they're actually working with us. Um, I would say uh, work with them. Find groups with them, or you can get with some of the more um, some of the actual prison organizing groups inside the prison themselves. Um, and um, right I, I would also say uh, you can also um, write some of the um, striking prisoners that may be um, suffering repression at this particular moment. Um, we also need community. We, we also need things like phone blasts. You know, contacting some of these local prisons, and you can also go to the uh, IWW. Um, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, we our Facebook page, and um, they usually have a pretty good list of um, some of the repressions that's going on throughout the state. Um, and also I would encourage people, um, particularly those that are with us, to um, participate in this upcoming meetings for Prisoners Human Rights March that will be taking place in Washington, D.C. Um, it's essential that we have the voices out there of the people.
0: Thank you again, D, for calling in and more power to you and your movement. And I just want to add on to say that if anybody wants to be an ally, you can visit your local jail and you can also register inmates to vote. It's another thing that mm, we can yes. all
2: do. Yeah, so I actually just wanted to add to that. So I'm actually a member of the National Lawyers Guild's National Police Accountability Project, um, which is um, not, well, it's an offshoot of the NLG. So uh, the guild has endorsed the prison strike. Um, if you want more information about what you can do, they've directed you to go to the website it'sgoingdown.org um, and you can find more information about uh, actions there. In addition, um, the support prisoners resistance dot, uh, dot Org blog um, has a renewed call to action for solidarity with the prison strike beginning on October 15th and going through October 22nd. Um, by rough estimates right now, we have over 20,000 prisoners involved in this strike in some way. And on the outside, we have had a lot of solidarity. Uh, there has been banner drops, graffiti slogans, noise demonstrations. Um, one of them occurred right here at the federal detention center in prison. The uh, people who are incarcerated on the inside turn the lights on and off and on and off, and the people outside, banged pots and pans and drums in solidarity. Um, So those are definitely ways you can get involved. In addition, you can go to the National Lawyers Guild uh, website and get involved. If you are a lawyer, and this is specifically to any listeners who are out there who are lawyers, um, who can donate some of their legal time and do some pro bono work, um, the Guild and MPAT members are looking for lawyers that can file notices of claim on behalf of aggrieved incarcerated people, looking for lawyers to do pro bono legal representation of incarcerated people participating participating in the action um, they are looking for lawyers who can do legal observing of demonstrators supporting these actions on the outside and people who can represent arrested protesters uh, as well as anybody else who can spread support about the events right now these actions are started on September 9th they are continuing they are going on in 17 states um, and in 45 cities around the countries there are many many ways that you can get involved uh, if you have any questions about getting involved then feel free to tweet at us or send us a message through politically and I will put you in touch with somebody um, who can make it easy for you to help out. This is really important. On that note, I'm going to throw so, it back to Selena.
0: Uh, I wanted to give Jackie and uh, uh, Stanley... 20 seconds for yeah. final comments. So
3: I, I want to push back towards anyone that thinks that unpaid or low wage prison labor isn't a form of enslavement. I mean, there is no coincidence that there is an exception to the 13th Amendment that allows prisoners to be treated this way. And what we're finding is that, um, you know, black and brown people are primarily incarcerated at rates way higher than than white folks. So to to say that this isn't a type of slave labor or enslavement is just completely wrong.
1: Thank you. So I, I stayed mostly quiet this segment, really because I've, I was extremely shocked about some of the things I heard. The way, if you want to find out the true testament of a person, look at how they treat the least of us. Mm. And I know that a lot of people in these places, they made mistakes, they committed heinous crimes, but they're still people. You don't do that to human beings because you can't punish them for being for not showing humanity or for making a mistake, and then. Go right back and show no humanity towards them or no love. That's not what people do. That's not what good people do. So I'm very disgusted and I hope we do better.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I wanted to add that, number one, if you still have a hard time connecting with this issue as a human rights issue, think about it this way. The people that are currently in prison, one day they're going to get out. And they might be in your neighborhood, and they might be living around where you live or, or or around where you take your children to school. And I, I don't know about you, but I would want the most rehabilitated, educated people to be coming out of this system. They shouldn't be getting worse. And that's what's, happened. That's what's happening. And the thing is, they're not just on strike for more wages and for, for, um, for better food. They're also fighting for better education and better rehabilitation programs inside of these prisons. That's number one. And number two, think about it this way. Are you a taxpayer? Of course you are, because you're not Donald Trump. And our tax dollars are being used to fund this prison system. So while people, especially black and brown people, are being massively incarcerated, what they're doing is they're working for barely nothing every single day to make rich corporations richer. Again, so our tax dollars are being used to fund and help Companies like Victoria's Secret and companies that make a lot of money off of this slave labor. So guess what? You're affected. We're all affected, and it's all connected. So on that note, we do have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. Alyssa's coming back with the quickie right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they hate, but they broke them. But they broke them. And when it's time to pop, they have no oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm bo- And we are back. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was so bad. And we're back. So, so you know, actually, I, I wanted to end with this because it leads into my, what Selena ended her last segment saying leads right into uh, the need for legal representation in civil in the civil context, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. Which, But before I get there, uh, Dostoevsky once said the degree of civilization in society can be judged by entering its prisons. And when we enter the prisons here in America right now, uh, we find that in many cases they are in very, very bad condition. And as Selena said, of people who are in prison now will one day get out, and guess what? They're going to need a home. They're going to need somewhere to stay. Um, And so that leads me right into where we're at today. Um, So as you probably know, you have a constitutional right to a lawyer when you're charged with a crime, right? Um, That's the Sixth Amendment. It applies to everybody in the country. Um, If you are being charged with a criminal act, then you get a lawyer. Uh, If you can't afford a lawyer, one is provided for you, um, and the taxpayers pay for you to get that lawyer. However, in a civil case, um, meaning anything that's civil—a lawsuit, housing court, family court—many, uh, any, pretty much anything else that you might have to go to court for um, that is uh, a civil and not criminal—you are not entitled to get a lawyer for. And this means that 70% of low-income tenants in New York City go to housing court without a lawyer. Um, Throughout the country, that number is about the median, meaning about 70% of low-income people living in the entire country have to go to housing court without a lawyer. Not having a lawyer in housing court is basically the number one reason why people get evicted. It is the difference between getting evicted and staying in your home. Um, Most tenants who need a lawyer for housing court cannot afford to hire one. According to a a report that was published in June of this year by Mayor De Blasio's new Office of Civil Justice, 62 million dollars was set aside this fiscal year to help bolster legal help for those that cannot afford a lawyer in housing court. However, this barely made a dent in the number of people that actually needed a lawyer. And so that really tells you how bad the the problem is to the point where it's now become a crisis. On the other hand, landlords, as you can imagine, and slumlords in many cases, are almost always represented by a lawyer. Why? Because they have lots of money and they're scummy and they take all your money and then they use it to spend it on a fancy lawyer. This fancy lawyer can probably outwit you and outmatch you in housing cart because even the smartest non lawyers who are representing themselves are going to get crushed by somebody who knows the law and somebody who knows the system. That's not to say there are not a lot of really smart people out there that do a decent job of representing themselves. And that's not to rub my own shoulders because i am a lawyer and say i'm so much smarter than all of you that may not be true there's a lot of people who have a lot of street smarts and other smarts that i do not have But but when it comes to going to court Somebody who's a lawyer is going to know somebody something more than somebody who's not a lawyer. That's because they've gone to three years of law school, they've taken the bar exam, and they have a lot of experience and practice and legal training. Just to give you some numbers, last year there were nearly 22,000 evictions in New York City, and the greatest number of those were in what borough? Anybody want to take a guess? We're
1: Brooklyn at. Nope. We're
2: Brooklyn yeah. at. Nope. There you go. The Bronx. Um, last week, the city council held a hearing on a bill that would make New York City the first jurisdiction in the entire country to guarantee lawyers for low-income residents that are facing eviction. Uh, within legal circles, this is known as Civil Gideon. The reason why it's called Civil Gideon is because in 1963, the Supreme Court case that established the right to counsel in a criminal case based on the Sixth Amendment was Gideon. That was the name of the case. Um, so that's why it's called a Civil Gideon. Um, so what would it do? Under the measure, tenants who make below 200% of the federal poverty line would qualify. Uh, for a single person, that means the cutoff would be 23540 for a family of four, it would be $48,500, which means if you are a single person making less than or equal to the amount of money, about 23500 bucks, or if you're a family making about $48,500 and you are facing an eviction, you would get a free lawyer provided by the city of New York, just like a low-income person would get a free lawyer if they were facing criminal charges. Uh, the bill has garnered support by an overwhelming majority of city council members. Um, it's also part of a broader effort that is gaining momentum across the country to create a right to counsel for those facing high-stake legal cases like evictions and foreclosures. Um, the bill has also brought together a broad coalition, including labor unions, uh, New York City Bar Association, as well as traditional tenants' rights advocates. Um, it also is gaining traction because of the fact that New York City, as we know, is dealing with an affordable housing crisis. Uh, the total stock of affording, uh, affordable housing is going down while the costs are rising. From the year 2000 to 2012, the number of apartments that rent for $1,000 or less in the city dropped by $400,000, according to analysis by the city comptroller's office, which means there are so many people out there struggling to stay in their apartment and not eligible, or they are eligible for affordable housing, but there is no affordable housing there for them. So the real big question, of course, everybody asks, that's what always asks, is how much will this cost us, right? We are taxpayers. Um, You're talking about providing legal representation to low-income tenants. How much would it cost us? Well, it would cost city taxpayers about 200 million dollars a year according to an independent advisory firm. But, and here's the big but, that would actually save us money. Why would it save us money? Because we spend over 300 million dollars a year keeping 500 500- thousand plus families out of shelters and at a cost of forty three thousand dollars per shelter so when somebody gets evicted because they don't have a lawyer and they try and enter the new york city shelter system it actually costs us a hundred thousand dollars more money than it would cost us if we would just give them a lawyer in the first place and in the last two years the de blasio administration although they have not done enough as far as i'm concerned they have vastly increased the amount of financing for tenant legal services and what has happened Happened is we have shown that the number of evictions in New York City have fallen to their lowest level in a decade. Evictions have dropped to 21,000 in 2015. That is an 18 percent decline in evictions, and that is directly connected to the mayor trying to provide money for more legal representation. So, if this bill was to pass, yes, it would cost us more money upfront, but in the end, it would save us money. Why? Because once tenants have lawyers, their chances of getting evicted fall by more than 75%, according to the Legal Aid Society. So, providing tenants with a lawyer is the number one reason why people stay in their homes. And when people stay in their homes, they stay out of the shelter system, and that saves us money. Um, in addition, in many cases, people have a legal reason to not pay rent, such as landlords not making repairs. Um, and so, some renters are actually entitled to a reduced rent bill or to withhold rent, and they don't know that because they don't have. Have a lawyer. Same thing goes to city rent stabilization lawyers. When you don't have a lawyer, sometimes you're, you're slumlord will raise your rent beyond what he is allowed or she is allowed to do because of the strict caps on rent stabilization and if you don't have a lawyer you don't know that so all in all this is very similar to the same thing that we're talking about when we're talking about the swiping people into the subway right which is yes it may cost us more money up front but in the end it's going to save money it's going to help people stay in their homes and guess what you know what the number one. You want to bring this conversation full circle to our last segment? You know what the number one homeless shelter is in the city of New York? It's Rikers Island. Island. And when people go to Rikers Island, it costs us a ton of money. So let's keep people in their homes. Let's provide them with legal services. In the end of the day, it's going to save us money. It's not just a government handout. It's actually going to save you money in the long run. Um, And it's a great idea. And I hope city council does it. And I fully support this. And if you support it, you should contact your city council person and tell them that you do.
1: So just real quick, I worked in city council for about a year in Brooklyn. And I can't tell you the amount of times that people came to our office, they were being evicted for, for no reason whatsoever. And they agreed to pay the landlords more than they needed to, just so they can stay in their apartments because they had some lawyer and they had to come and they had to represent themselves. They barely spoke English. I had crazy work schedules. I got evicted from an apartment because I complained because we didn't have heat for three days. And they evicted me. And I could have gone to housing court, but it was too much of a hassle. I have work and I didn't have heat. So why would I even fight for this apartment? but it can happen to anyone, whether you have a college degree like me and talk crap every Sunday on this radio show or you're working two jobs and you have a family of four at home.
0: Yeah, no, no, thank you so much for that. And I think that was like a reoccurring theme in the last hour. It can happen to anyone, so make sure we fight for everyone's rights. Thank you so much to everyone who hung out with us, who listened to us here in Harlem or who was watching via live stream or Ustream or was leaving comments on Politically Preposterous on our Twitter feed. We definitely appreciate all the love and we see you we do have to say goodbye for now but don't worry we'll be back god willing next sunday hopefully if my car is working i'll be here as well and happy sunday guys Just let your voice be heard don't
1: forget you can listen to us on itunes if you have an iphone itunes podcast let your voice be heard at lyvbh radio or we're also on um android it's stitcher and, it's, and um iHeartRadio, radio lyvbh radio we'll see you next week